when they had the ladder up, um, power's on now, it's that thing. But when they had the ladder up, I was thinking back in the day when uh, before uh, TVs had remote controls, I was uh, alive uh, back then, you know, old enough to remember that, you know, you actually didn't have a remote control to turn the TV on and off. And uh, I just remember my dad always saying in that moment, hey, Dave, go turn the TV, go turn it to this channel and this channel. And I'm like, kids used to be uh, the remote control and now no longer are. Um, we get used to just ease of a button to click it on or off. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. We're going to sit in that passage uh, mainly this morning and just look at the story uh, that we see in Acts chapter 9. And uh, in the last couple weeks, um, actually months, we've been going through a, a passage in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And for a while we, we sat in... What did it mean to be devoted to the apostles' teaching? Which really was uh, devoted to the word. What did it mean for us as a church to be devoted to the word? Whatever it says, to be obedient to what the word says. In the last couple of weeks, we are talking about what does it mean to be devoted to the fellowship. Devoted to fellowship. And I want to start um, this morning with sharing a testimony that is about nine months in the making. And uh, downstairs on Wednesday nights, a uh, youth group happens here at Moran Park Church. Middle schoolers and high schoolers come together. And one of our desires is for the youth group to be a place of fellowship for middle school and high school students. I firmly believe that we don't need another big group gathering where we're all standing maybe shoulder to shoulder, back to back, or just looking forward. But we want to, at that space, grow in fellowship with one another. We run a youth group in a similar to a house church format where we're opening up the word, we're making disciples, we're holding each other accountable, and uh, we're, it's, it's a phenomenal time every Wednesday night. Well, last fall, I thought, you know what, when we get these high school girls together, because we separate based on high school, middle school, and then girls and, and boys. All right, it'll come up there. I just see Daniel in the back going, yes! I'm like, okay, that wasn't that exciting what I said. Um, <laughs> There you, there you go. Now the distraction is gone. There we go. So in the fall, I, we, we got the high school girls together, and I thought, you know what, this would be so great, because we have this high school girls house church uh, that, that comes together, and the older can teach the younger, and the younger can, can ask questions of the older, and this would be a great, like, kumbaya moment, where they're just all together on a Wednesday night, and no issues are happening and it's just, you know, a couple years ago that these juniors were freshmen and they can share wisdom. And it would be absolutely amazing in my idealistic mind. Because we got started in the fall and week after week I would hear issues. I would hear like, they look at us weird. They're mean or they think, we think they're mean or they're too loud or they're too quiet. There were all these issues back and forth. And I would hear them week in and, and week out, and uh, the leaders and I, we would come together, and we're like, we're, we're not going to give up on this. We're not going to give up on, on bringing this group together, and maybe it was my stubbornness that was coming out. Um, but we persevered and said, no, there's something that's going to happen in this group. And as I was thinking about it this week, I just thought, like, how easy it is to when we come across trials, when we come across problems, specifically in fellowship, how quickly we want to bail. 
how quickly we want to just go in a different direction. And that even came out of that group. There were many that said, why don't we just form two different groups? Why don't we just meet separately? And we can do that. But one of the things that I'm so grateful for is that the leaders persevered. And they started to pray. And they were like, Lord, what do you want to do in this group? How do you want this group to be formed? And they tried a bunch of different things. And sometimes they were successful. Sometimes they weren't. But what has happened over the last nine months is absolutely amazing. And it took a turn during winter camp back in February. One of the leaders had this idea, how about we pull, bring girls together, upperclassmen and lowerclassmen girls together, and have them pray it with each other. And connect them as prayer partners. And I heard this and I'm like, hey, it's worth a shot. Let's try it. Go for it. And what has happened out of that, as they've paired up, has been miraculous in all honesty. I was talking with one of the, the girls um, in the group, and they were showing me the text messages that they were sending to this uh, uh, lower classman, this ninth grader. And I'm like, this relationship is growing. And no longer do you hear things like, oh, they're mean to us or they don't like us. Instead, you're hearing there's a shared fellowship, there's a shared relationship that is happening. But that only happened as they persevered over the last nine months. How they didn't give in to say, you know what, this is too difficult, let's just form two groups and be done with it. But they persevered. And it's an absolute, absolute powerful testimony to see how when we persevere, how relationships can stay not just at the surface, surface, but go to a greater depth than we could ever imagine. See, one of the things that I think that when we come to fellowship, when we talk about fellowship, we can idealize it. We can look at Acts 2.42 and think like, oh, they had this kumbaya moment and this was phenomenal. Acts 2 and Acts 4, they're sharing their possessions. They have everything in common. Everything is going super sweet, super swell. But then we read Acts 5 and there are issues in the church. Acts 6, the widows were not being taken care of and all of a sudden problems arose. There was persecution. And we think, well, just fellowship happens. And I want to say it doesn't just happen. Fellowship is difficult and you have to fight for, uh, for fellowship. You have to fight to make it happen. And this morning, I want to get really practical in regards to fellowship, in talking about fellowship. Because I believe too often in the church in America today and in our society today, when it comes to relationships, we come across difficulty, we come across hard times, and it's too easy to bail and go to a different place. And instead of doing the hard work, and instead of fighting for fellowship, we run. And I will say from personal experience, that there is a depth of relationship, a depth of fellowship that you can get, get to if you persevere through trials. If instead of running from difficulty, you embrace it and you have those tough conversations face to face, you forgive one another, you bear with one another, you're hospitable to one another, there's a depth of relationship, a depth of fellowship that I think the Lord would want us to experience. So turn to Acts chapter 9. And I want to go through the story of Saul's conversion and talk very specifically about fellowship and what this might look like for us today. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So a little background. We have Saul. Saul is the, the number one enemy towards Christianity in the first century. 
He hated everything about Christians. He hated everything about this movement that they called the way. He went around just putting people in prison for being followers of Jesus. He was there in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen was murdered, when people stoned him. He was there approving of the entire thing. And this was something that he found uh, life from. This was his livelihood. He went around arresting followers of Jesus, putting them in prison. And so he just was, he was on his way. He just got permission to go 150 miles north of Jerusalem to Damascus. And he's on his way. He's heard that there are followers of Jesus up there. And he wants to arrest them, put them in prison, and maybe even kill some of them. And so here is Saul, the number one enemy towards Christianity in the first century. Verse 3. Now as he went... On his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who, you, who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. So here's Saul, one of the greatest enemies of Christianity. And on his way to causing more harm, wreaking more havoc, Jesus appears to him face to face. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's absolutely amazing. Instead of Jesus confronting Saul and calling out all the things that he was doing wrong, even though he said, why are you persecuting me? He calls him by name. And I just think this is an amazing picture of God's love and his pursuit of us, his kids. Here's Saul. He goes after and he calls him by name instead of just ripping apart. He says, Saul, Saul. He approaches him. But then he says, why are you persecuting me? And this question just really hit me this week. Why are you persecuting me? How does Jesus see his followers? By this question, we get a very clear picture of how closely in fellowship that we are with Jesus. See, if, 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 a, if a follower of Jesus is persecuted, it's like Jesus is persecuted. If, if a follower of Jesus is attacked, it's like Jesus has attacked himself. If a follower of Jesus is, is rocks are thrown at him, it's like Jesus is, is we're throwing rocks just at Jesus as well. Jesus is closely identified with his people, and he says, why are you persecuting me? And I can imagine maybe Saul's thinking, well, you, I'm not persecuting you, I'm persecuting your followers. This just shows the fellowship that we have with Jesus, the closeness that we have with Jesus. Recently, we've had a number of kids being born at Moran Park. And one of the things that I think of, as I think back of when my kids were born, I think of it as soon as I saw them, as soon as I, I, I saw them face to face, all of a sudden, what would rise up in me is I was willing to do anything for that child. You see the child face to face, and all of a sudden you're like, I would die for this child. I'd give my life for this child. I would fight for this child. Why? Because that child is a part of me. And I remember one time when Mallory, my eighth grader, um, was shoved by a little kid in preschool. And I remember looking at that kid and getting in his face and saying, knock it off. Why? Because he shoved my daughter, and shoving my daughter was like shoving me. And so here I was, face to face with this preschooler, I'm like, here you go, listen up, bud. <laughs> Parents have this closeness with their kids. And I never want us to lose sight of this closeness that we have with Christ. We have that fellowship. That's how he sees 
each of you that you belong to him if you put your faith in Jesus. You have this closeness, this intimacy with Jesus, this fellowship with him. When I think of fellowship so often, I think that we think of like this, this old fellowship hall, if you grew up in church, where there was bad coffee and shallow conversation. And fellowship has nothing about that when it comes to the word. Fellowship is a sharing with one another and identifying with one another. And first and foremost, we have to realize that Jesus identifies with us. And it's all because of his blood that was poured out for us. I mean, we think about the exchange that happened. Jesus took our sin, our wrath, our rebellion. He took that on his shoulders, went to the cross, died the death that we deserve. Why? So that we, if we believe in Jesus, could be made righteous, holy, and have renewed relationship with the Father. We can have intimacy with the Father. That is the gift that we have been given through the poured blood of Jesus Christ. So much so that when Paul, later in 2 Corinthians, he said, I am very bold before the Father because of what Jesus has done. Do you know the closeness that you have with Jesus? Do you know that closeness, that fellowship that is available to you as a follower of Jesus? Jesus says, why, Paul, are you persecuting me? Let us never forget that closeness, that fellowship we can, with, that we can have with Christ. And I so often think people say, I want to be closer to the Lord. I want to be closer to the Lord. And I understand what people mean by that. They're like, I need to go to church. Or I need to do this to get closer to the Lord. And I want to say, do you realize how close you already are because of all that Jesus has done for you? Fellowship begins with understanding, first and foremost, that we have this fellowship with Jesus. But fellowship with Christ must result in fellowship with others. And so let's continue to read about Saul. Verse 10, chapter 9. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Now I read that, and the thought that I have is, Jesus, why didn't you do it yourself? I mean, just recently, Jesus encountered Saul on the road, and he said, why are you persecuting me? And he was caused to be blind, he couldn't see, and he went to this house, and I read that, and I'm like, why didn't Jesus do that himself? Because obviously Jesus could have appeared to Saul restored the sight in his eyes. He could have told Saul, you know what, you're going to be my chosen instrument to go carry my name to the Gentiles. This is what my plan is for your life. He could have done that himself. Why did Jesus send Ananias? I think one of the things that we must realize is that God can move in miraculous ways. God can move in a moment and heal somebody. God can encounter somebody face to face. But one of the primary ways that God moves apart in his, throughout his kingdom is he moves through his people. We think we want to experience the grace of God. We want to experience the goodness. God, will you just encounter me in an absolutely powerful way? And he can and he will do that. But so often his grace is extended through people. He encounters people through his people who are willing to say, like Ananias said, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Throughout scripture, we see, and I don't understand this, but we see because God doesn't need us, but we see that God works through people to be his hands and feet. 
in Mark 16, says everywhere they went, they preached the gospel. And the Lord worked with them. I love that picture of partnership. That the Lord works with us. With us, his people. And so one of the things that I get concerned about is we want to encounter the Lord. We want him to impact our lives. But so often we neglect to be engaged in one of the primary ways that he engages us in the way he, he works in our lives. He works through people. Ananias, his name, is, his name means the Lord is gracious. And we all know that Saul needed to experience the grace of the Lord. And he experienced it on the road as that light encountered him. But he also experienced it as Ananias was sent by God to share the good news of Jesus with Ananias. To, to talk to him. To pray for him. Do you realize that God may be sending people into your life to get your attention? Or he may want to use you in somebody else's life. God works through people. The other thing that I see in these couple verses is I love that how specific Jesus is. He says, go to this street called Straight. Go to this guy's house. And here is who you are looking for. When it comes to fellowship, when it comes to that, I don't know if the Lord is going to be that specific with you, but he may. But one of the things that happens with fellowship is I believe that the Lord will tell us who to be in fellowship with. He will highlight who he wants you to engage in relationship with. He will, he will highlight who he wants you to pursue. The Lord is specific with, with Ananias, and I believe he wants to be specific with us. And so who is it that the Lord is telling you to be in fellowship with? Who is it that the Lord is telling you to be in relationship with? Who is the Lord telling you to, to hold accountable, to, to make a disciple with, to, to open up scripture and read together and pray together? Who is the Lord highlighting for you? Now, one of the things that I realize is that Ananias could not have done this with everybody. But the Lord sent him to Saul. And so who is the Lord sending you to? Last couple weeks ago, Josh was talking about uh, who are you crash landing your plane next to? I don't know if you remember that story or not. And that's a question that we have to pray into and ask Jesus. Jesus, who do you want me to crash land my plane next to? Who are you telling me to go to? Who are you telling me to pursue in relationship with? Do we take time to ask Jesus that question? One of the concerns I have is that so often with the world being so small through uh, technology, we have this desire that we want to save everybody. We want to have a huge impact. We want to impact everyone's life. But one of the problems with that is we want to make such a big impact and impact everybody's life. The problem is we often miss the one that God is sending us to. Who is the one that God is highlighting to you and saying, go? Go engage in a relationship with that person. Go be my hands and feet with that person. But here's the other thing. When it comes in relationship, when you're identified with that one, are we giving grace to people to be focused on the people that God is sending them to? So often we can see people and say, oh, they're in relationship with one another. I wish I had that relationship with them. And we can put judgment on them. Do we extend the grace and say, you know what? God is using them in that environment. In that relationship, I will continue to seek who the Lord is sending me to. Who is the Lord sending you to to be in relationship with? Let's continue to, to read. Verse 13. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. 
You hear the obstacles. You hear the excuses that Ananias starts to make. And he could have had many. Here Paul was sent and he was arresting followers of Jesus, putting them to death. And Ananias may have even knew some of those. He may have even knew some people who were hurt by Paul himself. And so Ananias is like, okay, Jesus, I'm cool with you sending me to Straight Street to this house of uh, Judas to look for a man of Tarsus. But Saul, like, do you know who that is? All of a sudden, the obstacles come flooding into Saul's mind. There's no way I'm going to engage in relationship with this person because he just might kill me. And I know when it comes to fellowship, when it comes to building a relationship and being in that close fellowship with people, the obstacles can flood our mind. Maybe you've been hurt by people in the past. And you hear us talking about fellowship and talking about relationships, and you're like, there's no way I'm going to do that because I tried that once, I was genuine, I built trust with somebody, and they turned around and stabbed me in the back. They took what I said and they hurt me. Maybe you've been hurt by relationships in the past. Maybe you've even been hurt by relationships in the present. And there are issues and you're like, I'm not stepping anywhere close to this relationship piece. There's no way because people just hurt me. And this is way too tough. Maybe pain has prevented you from stepping into relationships, stepping into fellowship. Ananias could have said, you know what, this guy is filled with pain. He's hurt my friends, he's hurt people I've known. There's no way. And I believe we have the same obstacles in our mind today. Another obstacle that comes up when it comes to fellowship is fear. I think we have so many thoughts in our mind that are filled with fear. What will these people think about me? We're even filled with fear of what do I say to them? I mean, that's a legitimate fear, a little bit legitimate worry. Like, what do I say as I begin a relationship with somebody and begin to fellowship with somebody? I would say just start with this question. Hey, share, tell me your story. Tell me about your relationship with Jesus. There's so many thoughts, so many, so many things that we think of that are just filled with fear. What do these people think? What if they don't engage in a relationship, don't engage in fellowship? There's a lot of pain from the past. There's a lot of fear but there's also a big obstacle of comfort because we are so focused on our lives, so focused on our schedule, so focused on what we want. I think of Ananias. I'm sure he had a bunch of different things that he could have been doing. He was a devout leader in the church, devout man of prayer. He could have said, God, I, Jesus, I, I have all these other things that I need to be doing. There's so many times we, the obstacles fill our minds, the time fills our mind. God, we don't have the time. We don't have I don't want to go here, there, and everywhere. I want my life to be my life. I want to be comfortable. But here's another thing. People are different than us. And we look at how they do things, and sometimes they say things that are different than the, than the way we say them. Sometimes they do things differently, and that makes us uncomfortable. And we're like, I don't want to engage in relationships because they make me uncomfortable. But the problem with all these obstacles is we're focused on ourselves. We're focused on what we want. Instead, the Lord just might use you to engage in somebody's life to show them how much he loves them. But I think this biggest obstacle is, is what we see next with Ananias and the Lord. He says this in verse 15, but the Lord said to him, Ananias comes up with this excuse and the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And look at this. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me 
so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. I love it. Sometimes the biggest obstacle that we face is just taking the first step. Here Ananias gets word from Jesus. This is what I want you to do. And it says that Ananias was obedient. He departed and entered the house. He took that first step and went. So often that first step is the biggest one. The biggest one. Will we go? Will we be obedient? Will we push through the obstacles in our minds and realize the Lord just may want to use us in somebody else's life? We have so many obstacles in our minds. And so seldom do we take that step and sit face to face with the person, open up our lives, ask them questions, and allow the Lord to work. I have seen this take place over and over again. That what happens when people sit face to face, when they engage in the hard, because let's be honest, this conversation with Ananias and Saul had to have been difficult. Here he was sitting face to face with somebody who put his friends in prison. And he said, I'm sitting face to face with you. I'm not talking behind your back. I'm not talking to my friends about you. I'm not looking at you and saying, there's no way the Lord can work in that guy's life. No, I'm sitting face to face, having a tough conversation. But then what I love is, is he says this. He says, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. How did Ananias see Saul? As family. Because his life had been transformed by Jesus. And at the heart of it, this is what fellowship is about. We're called to be, as a church, not just a, pla- a, pe- a place where people go and sit in pews and look forward. No, we're called to be a spiritual family. And so Paul looks, or Ananias looks at Saul and says, Brother, we are on the same playing field. We're on the same ground. We're on the same level. I'm not above here and you're down here. No, brother. Brother Saul. Can you imagine how freeing that was for Saul? Here was a guy who probably was carrying around in these three days as he couldn't see, was thinking about all the troubles that he had caused, all the problems he had brought into people's lives. The shame, the condemnation, the weight that he must have been feeling. And here Jesus sends one of his followers, Ananias, to come and sit to him face to face and doesn't come with condemnation or shame, but looks at Saul and says, brother, brother. We're a spiritual family. That is what God has called us into. And here are two guys that had nothing in common. Absolutely nothing in common. Saul was an enemy of Christianity. And Ananias, devout follower of Jesus. They had nothing in common. But the thing that they had in common was Jesus himself. And that is what unites us. You can have nothing in common from an earthly perspective with somebody. But you have everything in common when you share the common faith in Jesus. That is what unites us. So often we try to unite around so many different things when Jesus is saying, be united around me and me only. Lastly, when it comes to fellowship, I want to highlight one thing because we look at this and it's so easy just to wrap a bow on it and say, oh, Saul and Ananias had this wonderful relationship and this wonderful fellowship. But look at verse 26, because Saul eventually left, went back to Jerusalem And in verse 26, it says, when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. One of the things that that highlights to me 
is that if you want depth in relationship, if you want depth in fellowship, it takes time. We want things to happen right away. We want this moment where we talk with somebody and we're all of a sudden just at the depth of relationship and the depth of fellowship. Here Saul went to Jerusalem and had to do it all over again. Had to have conversations, had to sit face to face. And when it comes to relationships, when it comes to fellowship, there will come a time when you have issues with people. They will say things, they will do things that make you mad. But in that moment, you have an opportunity to either bail and not experience a depth in relationship or to engage and say, you know what, this is what happened. And in those midst of those conversations, midst of those conversations, go to a depth of relationship and a depth in your relationship with the Lord that you've never experienced. I go back to the fall and that high school group of girls and they have taught me so much when it comes to persevering in fellowship and the leaders have taught me so much and I believe that group has so much to teach us Moran Park we can't allow our lives just to be sit just to sit facing forward and and living shallowly with with people in relationship the Lord is calling us to persevere the Lord is calling us to engage in fellowship engage in relationship and that has to be something that the Lord directs, the Lord guides, but it's something that he also has to give us the strength and the power to do. He has to give us that endurance. He has to give us that perseverance, that joy in relationship. And so this morning, when it comes to fellowship, I want us just to be thinking, who is the Lord asking you to engage with, engage with, be in fellowship with? Have you asked him? Have you asked him, all right, Lord, who? Who are you sending me to? If your heart has been hurt from the past, have you done the work of allowing the Lord to heal your heart? Or maybe there's hurt in present relationship and, and all throughout scripture we see you have to go to that person, have to have a conversation with that person. Are you willing to engage that hard work? I think the Lord wants us to persevere in fellowship, not so that it's something that we just talk about, but that it's actually something that we live into that transforms our lives. We don't want to just be people who hear the word and don't do anything. We want to be people who live it out. And so I want to pray for us. I want to pray, and as I pray, as the worship team comes up, I want us first of all to remember that it's only by the blood of Jesus that we can have fellowship with God the Father. And that's the basis of our relationship, the basis of, of anything that we do. But I also want to ask that the Lord would be specific for each of us. Who is he sending us to? And are we willing to do that hard work of engaging in relationships with people? No matter the obstacles that flood our minds. And so Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak right now. I thank you how specific you are. I thank you. I thank you that you pursue us. Just like Saul, you pursued us. But also, Jesus, I think of how you used Ananias in Saul's life. And how you used people all throughout scripture and all throughout history. And I ask, Jesus, that, that you would show us right now who it is that you're telling us to engage in relationship with, engage in fellowship with. 
we ask for specifics. We ask that you would show us you. But I ask, Lord, that too, you would also help us to see people as you see see them. That if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That we would see one another in this room as, as a spiritual family. As brothers and sisters. That we would not hold people's past against them. But we would only see one another through the lens of the cross. Through the, the lens the, of the fact that you, Jesus, died for all of us. So Holy Spirit, do the work that you can only do. And let's reveal Jesus. Give us direction. Be at work in our lives. All for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name.